It is great to see you all this morning. A young man walks into a lumber yard and says to the man behind the counter, hey, I need some four by twos. The guy behind the counter says, you mean two by fours? So he runs out, runs back a minute later. Yep, 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 I need two by fours. Guy behind the counter, so how long you need them? Runs back out, runs back in. My dad says we need them a long time. We're building a barn for the horses. <laughs> so how are you doing today? Good, good. I hope that you're doing good. I hope that you're doing good from last week. I hope that uh, God revealed to you some areas where you could say into your life, good. Whether that was a good thing or whether that was something that uh, we had to learn, I hope that life is good because our God is good. Amen? All right. So, in 2012, I was standing in the Mall of America, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they've got a huge movie theater set up there. And we were standing in line to get some tickets and standing in line to get some popcorn. And the guy turns around and he looked rough. It was the lead singer for Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, was standing right there in front of me. And he's been road hard and put away wet, let me tell you. <laughs> and his guitarist was with him. And, and uh, what do you do? You just kind of, I know about it. I've heard, I know I've heard a few of his songs on the radio. I'm sure you have too. But, but what a chance encounter something like that is. Have you had a chance meeting with someone, whether they're famous or someone that you enjoy seeing? I had the same thing, only it meant a little more to me as I had a chance encounter with a, a pastor named Chuck Swindoll. And I uh, got to talk with him for a few minutes. And he's one of my heroes of the faith, one of the guys I like listening to and learning from and teaching. And, and so that was neat. And that's what we're going to talk about today is a chance meeting, a chance encounter. Well, let's get right into it. We're going to start off today with the scripture. We're going to be in John chapter 4. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Jesus has been in Judea. He's been baptizing people. John the Baptist has been baptizing people. And, and people are starting to talk, and that's okay. But, the, but people are starting to take sides. And they're starting to, to wonder, you know, what's Jesus doing? Because, you know, we know John the Baptist here. He's been here for a little bit. And this Jesus is new on the scene. And, and they started to talk, and they started to create a little bit of a ruckus. And Jesus wasn't into that right now. He just, he wasn't into the... Uh, the, the religious political scene of, of what was happening there. And so he just decided to leave. He decided to go back to Galilee. Not because he was afraid of what was going on, not because of what was going on was wrong. It just wasn't the right time. Kind of makes me think of how many times I should walk away with something when it's just not the right time. But that's for another day. Let's move on. He had, it, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, not because the road was closed, not because that was the only way to get there, but there was something inside of him that said, I have to go this way. The Holy Spirit, even though Jesus was God and man, there's the Holy Spirit and the Father, but something was pushing him, I have to go this way. Okay. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Okay, last week we talked about Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Okay, this is the same plot of ground where Jacob gave to Joseph, and we talked. The only thing that's different is that we're 1,700 years later from what we talked about last week with Joseph. Joseph has been dead and buried. The, the Jews were forgotten about in Egypt. We've got the whole scene with Moses. 
uh, as, as is coming up with Easter. We've got, you know, the Ten Commandments that come along every year with Charlton Heston, and uh, that's what we grew up with. But that's the same plot of ground 1,700 years later. And Jesus was tired from the long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. 12 o'clock, sitting by a well, thirsty. No big deal. It's normal. Let's go on. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Next. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Let's pause right there. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They, they viewed, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as these half-breeds. And so they didn't get along. They didn't want to be by each other. They hated one another. And the Samaritan knows that, and she can see Jesus is a Jew. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do, asking for a drink. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water from? Next. And besides, do you think you're greater than the ancestors of Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So there's some good things about this well. It's deep. The good water is deep. And when we talk about living water, we usually start talking about moving water. And that would have been a common phrase back then, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is now going to flip the script on this lady, this woman, this young woman. He's engaged her in her need of being thirsty. But there are some reasons there that, that she was there at noon. You see, normally the women would gather the water, but they would, they would gather that water in the, in the morning, in the cool of the morning, with all of the other women. They would get water together and catch up on whatever there is to talk about and then go back. So why is she here at noon? Curious. She was there at noon probably because she didn't want to be there. In this culture and in this time, they did that early. So why is she there at noon? This woman in, in this day, I'm going to guess, was probably an outcast. She may have not wanted to go there because of some sort of humiliation to be around the other woman, so, so she decided to go in the heat of the day when she knew no one would be there. Does she have something to hide? Maybe there's something that she's embarrassed about. She's wanting a way to get out of there, I get the impression, and she doesn't like her life right now. Jesus knows this. He's, he's beyond smart. But Jesus is using this to get her attention, and he switches her desire to not be there. He switches her desire from being thirsty. She's probably feeling embarrassed, lonely, an outcast. She probably has a messy lifestyle. She's probably wanting and longing for a connection that's just real, but just can't get there. How about you today? Do you find yourself identifying with any of these attributes? Where is God pressing on your buttons right now? Last week we talked about when things go wrong, it's good because we have a chance to get better. But now we get to look at ourselves and, and where is God starting to press on you? 
What is God starting to identify in you? This woman, woman is, is starting to have to bring to the surface who she really is. Let's, let's go again. Go. This is what uh, Jesus said. Oh, I skipped a whole section there, didn't I? Let's go back. That'll be fun. <laughs> Verse 13. One more slide. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. That's, that's where Jesus starts to, to talk to her. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense now <laughs> as to why he's going to flip the script. It's because she's saying, give me this living water. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. It's going to be one of them days. But she wants this living water. She doesn't want living water like Jesus is talking to her about. She wants living water so that she doesn't have to come here again. Like I said, she's feeling embarrassed. She's feeling like an outcast. She's feeling very alone. So if Jesus, you could give me this water so I don't ever get thirsty again. I won't ever have to come here again. I won't have to be embarrassed again. I can just be by myself. Anybody? Who wants to just get on their horse and be by themselves? I'd be willing to buy a horse just to do that, I think, some days. But as we say, Jesus is going to flip this script away from her feelings of this physical thirst, and he's going to start to probe into the connection that she doesn't even know she wants. She knows there's something missing, but she's really not sure what that is. Now let's go to verse 16. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Simple, asked, answered. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped, Jesus is getting beyond the plain, the, beyond the things that we can hide. If you and I are having a conversation, grabbing a cup of coffee, and I ask you a question and you answer it, that's it. But Jesus knows more. Notice how he is concerned not only about her physicalness of being thirsty, but he's concerned about her lifestyle. And she was obviously a smart woman because she starts to get concerned immediately when, when Jesus starts to probe in on her. You're right. You haven't had a husband. You've had five. And the guy you're with now isn't even your husband. Now, I think that in alone is interesting because in this culture and in this day, it was very easy for a husband to have his wife killed. That if she would have had an affair on him, he could be upset about that and he had every legal right that he could have her done away with or he could send her out so there's there's something to this the fact that that she's still alive but yet she's had five husbands she's had five people reject her and she's now on number six some of you here are feeling rejected today there are times in my life I've felt rejected Jesus gets that Jesus gets you Jesus is sitting here at the well with us. She starts to get concerned when he starts to probe in on who she is as a person. And she starts to, to try and flip the script on him. 
Well, yeah, yeah, maybe I've been married five times, but, but, but you Jews, <laughs> you Jews keep saying you can only worship God there. We say it's here. What do you got to say now? Huh. Well, let's find out what she says, what he says. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for the salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is leading her to understand that it's not politics that matter. It's not the Jews and the Samarit versus the Samaritans that matter. It's not the preference that matters of, I think I need to worship here, and I think I need to worship there. I think I need to worship at Cowboy Church, or I think I need to worship at, you fill in the blank, church. It's a relationship that's going to matter. Jesus isn't talking about having to be Jewish to have salvation. No, but instead he's, he's talking that, he's, he's telling her a statement, not giving her a command. He says, no, the, the salvation is going to come through the Jews. For Jesus was of the bloodline of David, the Jew. And that's where salvation is going to come from. Listen to me, he says. I can imagine how I would have done it so imperfectly. Would you just listen to me? I'm right. My wife has heard that way too many times. Maybe some of you can relate to that too, right? Right? We're all in this together. But this is the point at which Jesus is more interested in changing her thinking than her physical situation. Man, how many times has God done that to me? Where he's just more interested in who I am as a person than exactly what I'm doing. Verse 25, the woman said... I know the Messiah is coming. The one who, called, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> Boom! There it is. Here's our application for today. The first one is this. God wants to meet you where you're at. I don't know where each and every one of you are today or what well you're sitting beside but I know God wants to meet you there. Jesus went out of his way to meet this woman at the well. God wants to go out of his way to meet you wherever you are at today. Don't be misled. Maybe you're here today thinking, but you don't know how I am. <laughs> you don't have to clean up to come to Jesus. You don't have to get your life in order to be with Jesus. Jesus wants you in the muck and the mess and the mire of where you're at today. He just wants to sit at the well with you and says, listen to me. I got you. I'm with you. Jesus is waiting for you at your well. Second one is this. What are you hiding that you think God doesn't notice? She thinks God's not going to notice the other six guys that she's been with. What about us? Ugh. I'd rather talk about her, quite frankly. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk. Let's, let's talk about Reggie, okay? That's, that's going to be good. Let's talk about Isaac. We can pray for Isaac. He's not feeling well, and I don't want to do all that. But, man, the guy drives a Chevy. you got to wonder. 
I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> but what are we hiding in our lives that we think God's not going to notice? Every time I say that, I start to chuckle because it's so absurd. Like, I think I can hide something from God. But what, in it, what area of your life are you feeling thirsty, embarrassed, lonely, an outcast, a messy lifestyle, things aren't going right, you keep making mistakes, and you make mistakes in whatever area you might be thinking you're making them in. Maybe you're like me. I love people. I love to be with people. Maybe you're just missing that connection that's real. I have some great connections, and I love it. But I really feel bad for people that don't have that connection with someone else. Start with Jesus. If you don't have a connection with Jesus Christ today, start with that and just see where he's going to move mountains. See where he's going to draw that bucket out of the well for you. He's sitting at the well for you. Not a group, you. Third thing is this. God goes through Samaria to meet you. You see, that, that's really quite interesting all by himself because when it says he had to go through Samaria, Jews walked three days around Samaria to get where they were going instead of going through Samaria. They could cut three days off a journey to go through Samaria, but they wouldn't do it because they hated this people group so much that they would go around he had to go through Samaria. But that's not all. It, it, the scripture goes on to say, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming in from the village to see him. I think there's some interesting imagery here. Why was she at the well to get water? She left her jar at the well because something was more important. She had been enlightened to something more. She had been enlightened to this living water, and she completely forgets about her own thirst. God will do that. God will have us forget about the stuff that we're carrying along that's dragging us down so that we can go and tell others about him. She is the first Samaritan missionary in the world, and she was an outcast. Because of her testimony, many people became to believe in Jesus. It says that Jesus stayed there. They asked him, hey, stay with us two more days. Long enough for many, many more to hear this message and to believe that, that we're not left out, that we're not the outcast, that we have a chance to, that we matter. I matter. God loves me. <clears throat> In that, there's an interesting sidebar to that too. Jesus stayed there two extra days. If you're like me, you're thinking what? Jesus is two days late to where he's going. Right, anybody else thinking that? Well, interesting side note. How long did it take to get around Samaria to where he was going? Two to three days. Jesus was right on time for where he was heading because he chose to follow the Spirit and go where God wanted him to go. During this whole interaction with people in the village, Jesus still has time for his disciples too. I can relate to one of his disciples because they're just dumb. 
<laughs> they just don't get it. There are so many days I just don't get it. I really don't want to admit that, but it's true. Jesus tells them, that, so the disciples during this whole interaction, the disciples are in the village getting food because it's noon. It's lunchtime. Yep, it's lunchtime. And they come back and Jesus says to them, he says, no, I don't need the food. I've got food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, come on, Jesus. Are you hiding the snicker bar in your robe that you're not telling us about? And Jesus says, no. He says, he says this living water thing, he comes right back to it. He says, I don't need to eat. I, yes, I might be hungry, but that's not what's important. What's important is how the Father fuels me. That's when it's important to us, too, to get beyond our stomachs to that Father fuels me. This is what Jesus tells them. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up. Wake up and look around. These fields of harvest are ready. They're ripe. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit of the harvest is bringing people to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work for you, and now you will get to gather the harvest. If today you find yourself in the shoes of this woman at the well, I hope you'll take a moment and let Jesus in. Let Jesus guide you to a better way of life. Seek after him. If you find yourself in a better spot today, that maybe, hey, you're in a pretty good spot, listen to what Jesus has to say and then take his advice. Be willing to go out of your way. This wasn't in my plan. I love it when my plans get screwed up. <laughs> maybe you're like that. Maybe God needs to knock your plans around a little bit so that you'll pay attention to him. Jesus will tell you everything that you ever knew about yourself because he cares. He could have pinned this lady. He could have pinned her to the ground and made her feel worse. But he didn't. He lifts her up and he says, I have something for you. And Jesus is saying that today. God loves her enough not to just leave her there. God loves you enough not to just leave you where you're at. You've probably heard that before. Maybe you need to hear it again. Maybe I need to hear it again. Maybe I needed to write this message for me. Thanks for being here because I'm talking to me. Please don't think that you can't have an impact on other people. Jesus is sending you into Samaria as well, into the community around where you're at. I already know that the people in this room are having an impact. There's, what, 300 of us in here. There's another 300 of us watching online. There will be another 2,000 people watching throughout the week. You will have an impact. You're starting to have an impact because I've heard the comments in Sundance. I've heard the comments in Spearfish. You're starting to have an impact of what God is doing in your life, and it's starting to rub off on somebody else. And it might just be by accident. Someone once told me that throughout your lifetime, you're probably going to have an impact on about 1,000 people. Okay? I went to a high school of 1,500 people. Some of them, my wife went to a high school of 100 people. 
Okay, so that, you know, by the time you got out of high school, you got a tenth of the way there or whatever. But through your life, you're probably going to have an impact on a thousand people. And if those thousand people have an impact on their own thousand people, then you have the chance to have an impact on one billion people. Think about that. How cool is that? Don't screw it up. <laughs> but <laughs> there's your encouraging word for the day. See ya. <laughs> Maybe that's just what I hear in my own head. Don't screw it up. Ah. But if you do, that is exactly why God meets the woman at the well. She had screwed it up to this point. But God says, hey, let's try this again. Wherever you're at, maybe that's all you need to hear today. Hey, wherever you're at, just let's try it again, shall we? Can we do that? It's at this point. It's at the point when we acknowledge that Jesus is God. We may have screwed it up, but God's got a better plan for us. It's at that point, it's this, this point of breakthrough that will set you in a whole new trajectory for the rest of your life. Is that why the windshield is that much bigger than the rearview mirror? It's because God wants us to focus on what's out ahead of us more than what's behind us. Yeah, we can learn from that. I don't want to do that again, so let's not do that again. But what does God have for us? There's 300 people here. There's more than 300 people in this state that we can have an impact on. So let's not beat ourselves up for what we've done in the past. Let's learn from it. Let's turn over a new leaf, as they say. Let's listen to God, what he has to say, and let's move on, shall we? We can do this. Let's pray. Father, you wrote this whole message for me and everybody just got to listen to how many times I've failed. You know, they don't. <laughs> I'm sure glad for that. But God, you've given me a tomorrow, just like you've given every one of us for a tomorrow. God, I just pray that you'd be with everyone that's here, everyone that's listening online. Father, I just pray that you'd guard them, guide them, and teach them. For those today that are sitting at the well at the noonday sun, just not enjoying life, God, would you just show them your real presence? God, for those that aren't feeling well, Isaac and, and others, God, would you just give your healing touch to those today and just help us to, to take our next steps, help us to run back to the villages. Wherever we are, we have the chance to tell people about you. God, would you make us bold for just 10 seconds? Whatever it is to, to make that happen, God, just, just help us to start there and let's work from there one step at a time. And God, I thank you for this community that we call the Black Hills Cowboy Church. I love getting to hang out with them. I know they love getting to hang out with each other. Help that to grow. Not just because it's numbers, but because it's community. Because you are at the center of this community. And we love that. God, thank you for all that you do and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.